Our Old Testament reading today is from the book of Proverbs, chapters 16 through 29. A friend loves at all times, and a brother is born for adversity. A man of many companions may come to ruin, but there is a friend who sticks closer than a brother. Faithful are the wounds of a friend, profuse are the kisses of an enemy. Whoever rebukes a man will afterward find more favor than he who flatters with his tongue. Oil and perfume make the heart glad, and the sweetness of a friend comes from his earnest counsel. Whoever sings songs to a heavy heart is like one who takes off a garment on a cold day and like vinegar on soda. Like a madman who throws firebrands, arrows, and death is the man who deceives his neighbor and says, I am only joking. A dishonest man spreads strife and a whisperer separates close friends. A man who flatters his neighbor spreads a net for his feet. This is the word of God. Looking at Proverbs this summer, um, looking at all the different things, or many of the different things that Proverbs speaks to, and this morning, if you didn't pick up on it by now, we're thinking about what is God's word, what does his wisdom have to say uh, about friendship? And so before we think about it together, let me, let me take a moment and ask God to help us. Let me pray. Father, I pray that you would remove all of the distractions that are in our minds and in our hearts and that you would allow us to think deeply about your word, um, that you would allow us through your word to understand more deeply who you are, your character. And Father, I pray that you would allow us to more deeply understand ourselves. Father, give us um, a self-awareness that we need to know ourselves in order to know you, and we need to know you in order to understand ourselves. And thank you for your word that it provides light for us. It's in Jesus' name that we pray. Amen. Um, Some of you probably remember, maybe you even read one of these books in the last week. You might remember the children's books that were put out, I think, beginning in the mid-70s called The Frog and the Toad. Does anybody remember those? Some of you maybe have those books on your shelf right now. You read them to your kids this week. There may be even some down in the nursery. There was many um, books in that series, The Frog and the Toad. And I loved these books because I loved these, these two characters. They were really, uh, it, it was an odd friendship in a lot of ways. They were a frog and a toad. For one, they talked to one another like many children's books. But they were really different. The frog um, was really particular. And the frog um, was really um, very sensible kind of in everything that he did and practical. But the toad was very emotional. um, And the toad was very reactionary. And like many friendships, that there's these two different personalities that somehow they come together. And so this amphibian friendship really mirrored a lot of the friendships that we see in our own life. And like any good children's book, it, you know, at times it even plumbed the depth of um, philosophy and human nature and all those good things. There's one story that, that I remember particularly 
I haven't read one of these books in years. Um, but it was the story just called Alone. And in this story, uh, Toad goes, like, many, like most days, he goes to Frog's house. This is what the books are all about. And he, when he gets to Frog's house to visit with him, there's a note on the door. And the note says, Toad, I'm not home. I want to be by myself. I want to be alone. And Toad, being the more emotional, more reactionary, goes into a crisis, right? I mean, he is like, what is wrong? Why does it Frog want to be with me? In fact, what he says is he's like, Frog has me as a friend. Why does he want to be alone? <laughs> and so Toad goes looking for Frog, and eventually he spots Frog way out on a rock far off of the shore, and Toad makes his way, you know, there's comic relief. In the meantime, he falls in the water and soaks his sandwiches that he's bringing to Frog, but he eventually makes it there. And he's afraid, he's a, what, what he's afraid of, why he's panicky, is something that we've all felt, is that he's wondering, does Frog still like me? Is he unhappy? Does he still want to be my friend? And when he gets there, he asks him that question. He asks him, Frog, are you unhappy? And Frog says this to him. He says, I am happy. I'm very happy. This morning when I woke up, I felt good because the sun was shining. I felt good because I was a frog. I felt good because I have you for a friend. And I wanted to be alone because I wanted to think about how fine everything is. And the story ends with frog and toad with their stubby little frog and toad arms wrapped around each other's shoulders, sitting on the rock, looking at the horizon, and the author says simply that they were content just to be in one another's company. Friendship is one of the sweetest things that this life has to offer. It's one of the things that I think many of us, we don't, we don't maybe think about it a lot, we don't consider it a lot. It's one of the things, though, that deep down we are, are longing for, that we want somebody who knows us, that we want somebody who understands us, that we want somebody who shares our experiences, that C.S. Lewis in his famous book, The Four Loves, he gets at this so well when he says the moment a friendship starts is when someone, well, someone says to the other person, you too? I thought I was the only one. And you've had those moments where you meet somebody and you begin talking and what you realize is that we are going to be friends because what happened is that you saw in them and they saw in you something that, they sh that you shared in common, a passion, um, a view of life, a, a belief or experience to where both of you felt, you felt known and you felt understood. And in a world that's really pierced with, with loneliness, and with pain, that, that feeling, you too, I thought I was the only one, is one of the most beautiful and one of the most richest things that we, can, that we can experience in this life. And part of the beauty of friendship is that it flows out. And part of the reason that we want it and part of the reason that we long for it and we want those moments to happen in our life is something that we've talked about over the last few weeks because it keeps coming back up, is that we're made in the image of God. That one of the reasons that you want friends 
One of the reasons that you're frustrated that your friendships are not better than they are, one of the reasons that you long for deeper friendships is that you're made in God's image. And back in Genesis 1, when God made man and woman, he said, let us make them in our image. That our God, the God that we worship, is a trinity, a trinity that has always existed and will always exist in eternal friendship with itself. One God, three persons. And the heart of God, and and this is astounding, but the heart of God is that he is friendship in himself. He doesn't need us, and yet he is friendship reaching out. That God in his eternal friendship reaches out to us and invites us in to to become a part, as we've already talked about, to become a part of the family of God, to become friends with God. I no longer call you servants, but I call you my, my friends. And the deep draw in us that longs for friendship is because we're made in his image, and that's beautiful, but it's complicated, right? Our relationship status can be complicated. That's one of the options. And it's difficult. It's hard. It's not always easy to navigate. And the reason that we're looking at Proverbs this summer is because there's a lot of areas in our life that there are not, some of us are black and white people. And we want, you know, we want to, we're the kind of people that are like, I want to be a friend. I want somebody to tell me exactly how to be it. And I want in the end to be it, for it to be perfect. Right? And friendship just doesn't work that way. I mean, it's not completely black and white, that there's a lot of gray areas, that there's, there's places in our lives where the rules are just not always so clear. And when it comes to friendship, I think it's right for us to say that that's, that's true of friendship, that friendship is often more about feel, that it's often more about intuition, That it's often more about understanding this other person enough to where you know that you might say this one thing to one friend that you would never say to this other friend because this other friend, it would devastate them or it would hurt them too much. But this, this friend, it's about knowing somebody else, which means it calls for wisdom, right? And thankfully, Jesus is the wisdom of God. And thankfully, in Proverbs, we have some pointers. You know, we have many books and we have many movies about romantic love. You know, we have kind of a cultural obsession with romantic love. And some of us, probably even this morning, one of the reasons that we feel maybe if we're experiencing loneliness is that we have this expectation and this longing for romantic love that has so overshadowed the beauty of friendship that we're neglecting our friendships because we're looking for this sort of um, ethereal romantic love that may never come. And we're passing over um, something that might be very rich and very good and very deep. It's easy for us to forget about the beauty of friendship. In our quest for romance, we, we neglect the joy that comes from somebody who, under no obligation says, I want to walk through life with you. To under no obligation says, I want to be your friend. 
The friendship is, is one of the only relationships in life that really, in some ways, is purely by choice. And if it ends, there's no, like, legal contract that's broken. It's somebody who just purely wants to be with you. It's not necessary for the survival of creation. We don't have to have friendship in order to exist. It's like what C.S. Lewis says. It's like philosophy or art. It has no survival value, but it lends value to survival. I think we could paraphrase that to say you could go through life without friends and survive. You might make it, you know, to a, to a ripe old age. But the question would be, what type of life would you live? I was reading an article this week. Uh, some of you all probably, this is kind of old news at this point. But the guy in, named Christopher Knight in Maine, who when he was 20 years old, he just drove his Subaru into the woods, left the keys on the dash, and for 27 years, never talked to another person. He lived in the woods. He stole from, from cabins around him. There was one point a hiker passed him and he said hello and that was it. And 27 years. It's possible to survive. The question is, what kind of life would we have without friends? And the Proverbs are suggesting that you probably wouldn't understand yourself very well. Because one of the paths to wisdom is friends who know you, who are able to show you more clearly who you are. And as I prayed earlier, understanding ourselves better is one of the ways that we begin to understand God better. And understanding God better is one of the ways we understand ourselves better. So let me ask these, just a few things this morning. How do we, what are ways in which these Proverbs show us that we can weaken friendships? What are the ways that we deepen friendships? It's kind of rhyme. I did that myself. And where do we get the power to be a friend? What are the Proverbs showing us about what weakens friendship, what deepens friendship, and where do we find the power to actually be a friend? Because to be a friend is not easy. Let's start with the bad. Um, How might we wreck and destroy friendships, sometimes without even knowing it, sometimes with not even being aware of it? And I think these Proverbs speak to a few things in particular And the first one has come up over and over and over again as we look at the Proverbs. It's really the the topic of gossip and slander and whispering. And so a few weeks ago, we looked at words, and I told you that Proverbs talks about our mouth a lot because our mouth, with our mouths, we, we both bless God and curse our neighbor. That's what the New Testament tells us. Our mouths get us in trouble a lot. And when we looked earlier about our tongue and about our speech and about our words, we looked at how quickly gossip can destroy an entire community. We talked about the fact that what can bring a new church down uh, quicker than anything. And we think about scandals and we think about all this stuff and those are bad. But you know what can more than anything is gossip. And I think that this is exactly what this Proverbs, there's a lot more about gossip and slander that I didn't include this morning because we've kind of already looked at them. But in 1628, I think it's what it's addressing is a whisperer separates close friends. What we know is that what's coming out of our mouths, what we've talked about is rooted, the Bible tells us, in our heart. And so when we begin to whisper behind a, a friend's back, we begin to whisper about Something, some little juicy tidbit 
that we want to share with somebody else that we really have no business sharing with anybody else. It's probably rooted in jealousy. It's probably rooted in bitterness. It's probably rooted something in our heart that is envious or prideful or revengeful. And the bottom line is when we start to whisper about our friends behind their back, this is like kind of kindergarten stuff, 101, but we need to hear it again. It is one of the surest ways to bring down a friendship. It's one of the surest ways um, to weaken a friendship, and it's one of the surest ways that that friend will lose complete confidence in you. But there's a whole other category, um, and you heard it when Carrie read them, uh, that I don't really know the best name for, um, ways that we weaken friendships. And the best, the best name that I could come up with is just um, an emotional disconnection. So one of the beauties of friendship is, is that you are known by somebody else and you know someone else. Um, but there is a type of friendship where maybe one party is just out of sync emotionally. And maybe that's because they're protecting themselves. Maybe it's because they're scared of being fully known. Um, but it expresses itself in ways that, y- that it, you can see and you can understand. And one of those ways, the Proverbs is really pointing at, at what, I, what I think is sarcasm. And I know sarcasm when I see it because I, it's, that's my gift, um, sadly. I've, in many ways, hurt people with sarcasm. Shouldn't joke about it. See, that was sarcasm, even joking about my sarcasm. <sighs> What the proverb says is that it's like someone who's throwing arrows or firebrands or saying things that are really hard and really hurtful and then says afterwards, just kidding. You had that happen to you before? Where somebody says something and it it shot like an arrow because you knew that it was rooted in the truth. And then afterwards, and they wanted to say it because they wanted you to know it, but they weren't saying it in love. They weren't saying it in a way that was connecting with you. And afterwards, they say, I'm only joking, because really the point was was really to hurt you. And I've been guilty of that at many times in my life, and I've seen how it can be destructive. But there's also this emotional disconnection that extends from somebody who just doesn't understand that and is not close enough to their friend to know that when they're going through something that's really difficult this friend is sort of oblivious to it. And it's like when you sing a song to somebody who's, who has a heavy heart, it's like taking somebody's coat off in winter. Isn't that vivid? And it's somebody who is so disconnected emotionally that they don't know how to enter into mourning or enter into suffering or enter into pain. And the, and the truth is, if, if you can't, if you can sing songs when, when your friend is sad, you're probably not their friend. Because when you really become deep friends with somebody, when they're hurting, you're hurting. It's almost akin to like any relationship. I mean, I, it's been said many times that, is that you're, is those of you who have children, you're only as happy as your unhappiest child, Right? And if you're close to a friend and they're suffering or they're unhappy, 
it affects you. And so whispering and emotional disconnection, but also something else that it speaks about often as weakening friendship is flattery. I mean, this is interesting, and this is where um, we wouldn't probably think of this one on our own, but God's word and his wisdom shows us this, that if you have somebody in your life the only, and the only thing they're ever telling you is how wonderful you are, they're a liar. <laughs> Because you're not, right? You have great things about you. And we need friends in our life who encourage us through hard times. But somebody who flatters, what flattery is, is a form of manipulation. And and that person wants something from you. And so all they're going to do is tell you flowery things about yourself and probably hyperbolic things. Maybe stretch the truth to such a degree that the proverb says that one who flatters his neighbor is like spreading a net for his feet. Because eventually you might like having that person around because of all the wonderful things they always tell you about yourself. But what Proverbs is saying is you're going to trip up eventually because those things aren't all true. They're withholding truth from you in order to get something from you. And like I said, we need to hear, we need to have friends who encourage us, but encouragement is different than flattery. Flattery weakens a friendship because it's somebody who's in their own insecurity is trying to manipulate somebody to stay close to them or to give them something that they think they need. It's not honest. But the last one, it's actually not listed in these verses, but we've already looked at it before, and it's not nearly as obvious, but it is all throughout the Proverbs. Is one of the ways that friendships are wrecked or they're weakened is through poverty. It's through poverty. It's amazing how many times the Proverbs bring this up, that poverty can actually leave somebody friendless. Um, 14.20 says, the poor is disliked even by his neighbor, but the rich has many friends. 19.4, wealth brings many new friends, but a poor man is deserted by his friends. And what is the wisdom there that the Proverbs is trying to get across It's not wagging its finger at somebody who's poor and saying, ha ha, look at you, you don't have any friends anymore. It's wagging its finger at the person who has climbed a social ladder and who has maybe advanced far enough in life that what comes with that is usually a lot of other people who want to be around you. Are they your true friends? Some of them might be, but a lot of them might not be. They might want something from you. They might like being around you because of what you've accomplished or the education you have or the ways that you've succeeded. But what, who's left behind is maybe people who they don't have much to offer in those ways. And, you know, there's a true temptation for us as we might do well in life or as we might climb a ladder or, or we might just do our jobs well and succeed and that's wonderful there's a true temptation to not think about people who aren't on that same level and if there's one place and it where it's this is devastating but it happens in the church all the time the churches form often not so much around simply even a general truth about who God is, but they might form because there's a lot of people who really like already being around one another because they're comfortable with one another. And there's high potential for friendship here. Why do we think there's high potential for friendship 
in a place where the people are just like us because we think that's the basis of friendship. And if we think that's the basis of friendship, we're deceived. The church should be a place where friendships cross lines. They cross lines like no other place in society. And it's, it's very sad when it doesn't happen. So how do we deepen friendships then? How do we, how do we make... How do we make our friendships stronger? Or maybe the question is, how do we be a friend? Like, we have to know how to be a friend if we want to have friends. How do we do that? Just three things. And the first one is really obvious because it's the first thing we read, it's, and it stands out, is that a friend, this is really simple, the first thing is constancy because a friend loves at all times. A friend loves at all times. What does that mean? A friend is not somebody, they're not what we call a fair weather friend. That's not a friend. It's not the definition of a friend. A friend loves when things are really good and when that person is giving you things that are really great. And a friend loves when things are really bad. It's constant. A friend loves at all times. There is a friend, it says, that sticks closer than a brother. You know, our, our bro- my brother was just in town. I love my brother, and I love spending time with him. But what, and, and, but what it's saying is that there's people in my life, you know, we, were, we, were, we have the same parents. Like, we didn't really choose one another. We love each other. We didn't really choose one another. But there's friends who stick even closer to their brother because they've chosen to be constant in your life through ups and downs. And the question we ask, are there people that we are constant in their lives through ups and and through downs, are we being are we being friends um, to people? Not just who have something to offer us, but we have something that we want to offer them, that we want to give to them. And if that's the case, if constancy is one of the true marks of how we deepen friendship, it means that it's not just an afterthought. And this is hard, right? Because it's not a luxury for when there's leftover time. And I say this is hard because I think this is how we think about friendship. I think that we think about friendship, and I say we, including myself, I think we think about it as this is the thing that I get to have when everything else is done. This is the thing that I get to enter into when I've already accomplished everything else that needs to be accomplished, um, when the kids are finally to bed or when my my work is finally done. Um, If there's time left over, then I can hang out with a friend, I can be with a friend, I can serve a friend, I can love a friend. But constancy means that it's something that we have to make room for. If we don't see it as important, then everything, friendship is one of those things, since there's no, like, legal contract, there's no, like, really huge repercussions, maybe other than one person being mad at us, it's one of the things that we can push to the corners really easy in life. And it's hard to love at all times because we are so busy. And the question is, what are we so busy with that's taking up so much of our energy and so much of our time that we're not being friends to the people around us? Because friendship, just if, if it means constancy, it means that there's got to have to be something else in our lives that we might dearly love and we might love what it brings to us, but we might have to cut it out in order to be a friend. And we're not used to hearing that. It might mean that we might not be as successful as we could be. 
It might mean we might not accomplish as much. It might mean we might not move to a new city because we have friends here who we have grown so attached to that we need to be there with them and be there for them. And maybe we even take a lesser job in order to remain friends, or maybe there's people that we want to befriend. And we, we, we sat, the, the point is that friendship, if it's, if it's something that loves at all times, it's going to involve sacrifice. Once a month, you know, this isn't a huge sacrifice because I love this person, but once a month, I have a friend who's also a pastor. He's up in Asheville. And on our day off, there's a lot of things when you have a day off you could do. You could get things done around the house. You could go be by yourself. Um, but once a month, we each take our full day off, and either he comes here or I go there. And from really the very beginning of the day, usually till the end, we spend time together. And we talk about everything. We talk about what's going on in here. We talk about what's going on up here. And we share friendship. It's a, sa- it's a sacrifice. It's a good sacrifice because I love that person. But it's one that I have to be intentional about and it's one that I need. Because constancy, what it lends to us um, is that it, we have somebody who's in our life who can be, this is the second thing of how we deepen, is we have somebody who can be honest with us. We don't need somebody to flatter us and just tell us really good things about ourselves. We need somebody who can be honest with us. That's what true friendship is. It's true friendship is, is honesty. Flattery comes from this heart of an insecure, manipulative person. A true friend, the beauty of a true friend is they help you to understand who you are. And you might think, and I might think, I can understand who I am by myself. Thank you very much. No, you can't. Because somebody else sees you in ways that you cannot see yourself. And a true friend goes out on a limb in order to be honest with you. If you've done that with a friend before, it's scary. It's scary to tell a friend what they may not see about themselves because you love them enough to where you go, they need to know this. This is what the Proverbs is is talking about. Faithful are the wounds of a friend. What does that mean? It means faithful are the things that a friend will do or say to you in a way that's hard for them, in a way that they know is going to sting and hurt maybe a little bit for you. But they're faithful because you need to hear them. Whoever rebukes a man will afterward find more favor than he who flatters with his tongue. Everyone in this room, we need friends who help us to see ourselves as we really are. In fact, if you have a close friend right now in your life, and you feel like you're kind of skimming across the surface sometimes, and you're thinking, what is a way that I could go deeper in my friendship? Ask that friend this question. How do other people see me? What do you see about me and you see in my life that you don't know that I can see myself? Ask ask that question. Because what you then do is you fling open the door for them to be honest with you, and you begin to deepen a friendship that might be just gliding along the surface. And to answer that question, it might wound you a little bit. It might hurt you a little bit. It might wound your ego, but there's a difference between wounds that sting and hurt and wounds that actually harm you. Surgery always involves a knife, right? 
whether it's a scalpel or a laser or whatever, it always cuts you. And the point is, it cuts you so that it might heal you. When I was a, camp, I was a campus minister for 12 years, and one of my favorite things about that time, other than loving students and telling them about Jesus, which was wonderful, one of my favorite things was that twice a year I would go to training. And it would be either in Atlanta or Dallas, and we would spend a week in a hotel, and we would learn things and talk about how our ministry is going and all that great stuff. But the thing that I loved is that I would, st- I would spend time in a hotel room with two of my best friends who I'd only see usually a couple times a year. And I would, late at night, I would, la- you know, I would laugh so hard that week that literally, if you ever laugh so hard, your sides actually hurt. I would, my si- I would come back and my sides would be sore. But almost every time we met, we would sit together and we would ask those questions to each other. How do other people see me? What do you know? Because they knew, we knew each other so well that we were able, I was able to trust them and they were able to tell me the truth. And I remember, I remember one time in particular, I won't tell you what they said. Uh, I remember one time in particular, it hurt because I was like, am I really like that? But it was the best thing for me. And they, that friendship deepened because of it. And the last thing, I'll be quick with this, is earnest counsel. We deepen friendship. The sweetness of a friend comes from his earnest counsel. And this just makes sense based on what we just said. If somebody's constant in your life through ups and downs, if somebody is willing to go out on a limb because they love you to be honest with you and to help you see yourself as you really are, then that means you have somebody in your life whose counsel you can actually trust. That you can actually go to them because they know your strengths and they know your weaknesses. They know what you're prone towards. They know when you, what makes you happy and they know what makes you sad. And that means that you can actually confide in them. And we need people that we can confide in. We don't, if you're airing everything about your life to everyone in your life, um, you need a friend. You need people that you can go to and you can confide in. And you can tell them um, about what's going on with you. And you can trust that they're not going to go out to every single person and be like, did you hear about this? And that they can give you earnest and good counsel. The sweetness of a friend comes from his earnest counsel. They won't use it against you because they love you. The fact is we, we all need friends like that. And you might be sitting here this morning and you might be thinking, Sounds good. I want, I want a friend like that. And we have to realize that in order to have friends like that in our lives, we have to first begin to learn what it means for us to be friends like that. It's what our mamas told us probably, right? If you want a friend, you got to be a friend. I think it's come out of my mouth probably in the last year to my own children. If you want friends, you've got to learn to be, you've got to learn to be a friend. And even when I say it, I feel myself a little bit condemned. Because I have much to learn as well. The church should be full of friends. It should be full of friends who counsel one another, who are honest with one another. It should be a place when we walk in the door, we realize there are, there, there's great potential here for friendship. Why is that? And I'll end with this. The power, where do we get the power to be a friend? If to, if to have friends, I need to be a friend. 
if I need to be constant at all times, if I need to make myself vulnerable enough to where I'm honest, if I need to, um, let, to, to confide in someone else enough to where that they would confide in me, means I have to be somebody who's willing to be vulnerable. There is no deep, true friendship without vulnerability. It doesn't exist. How do I have, where do I get that? Where do I get the power to do that? You might guess it's from Jesus. Right before Jesus died, he was attempting to comfort his disciples. And we read this passage earlier, and his disciples were extremely distraught, and they were, they were extremely confused, and they didn't know what was happening, and they didn't know what was going to happen to Jesus. And he keeps talking about the fact that they're going to take him when they get to Jerusalem, and they're going to beat him, and they're going to kill him. In three days, he's going to rise again, and they are, they are terrified. And in the midst of their fear and in the midst of their grief, Jesus tells them, yeah, I'm not going to leave you as orphans. No, it, I'm not going to leave you alone. You are now my friends. The second person of the Trinity stood on earth and called human beings who were wildly unfaithful, who were, you know, um, dramatically wrong in many ways, he called them his friends. And I think it's one of the most incredible statements in all of the New Testament. And I think that what we need to know this morning, more than anything, if we're ever going to move towards anyone else as a friend, to be a friend, if we're ever going to have deep friendships, is that we have to know that this morning what Jesus calls you, when he says that you're forgiven, when he says that you're mine, he, he's calling you this morning his friend. And if that sounds kind of trite or cheesy to you, you're missing it. The maker and the creator of the heavens and earth can look at you and all of the ways that you are wrong and I am wrong and all of the things that we thought this week that we would be terrified if one of our real friends actually knew. He knows it and he looks at you this morning and he calls you his friend. That you are no longer servants, that I will not leave you as orphans. No greater love is this, that I lay down my life you and he bears our wounds and if Jesus calls us friends that means that he has made room for us it means that he is honest with us it means that he is constant in our lives it means that he will never fail us it means that he loves at all times it means that he sticks closer than a brother it means that he constantly is aware of our needs and our pain it means that he doesn't sing songs to us when we're grieving but he mourns with us. And if Jesus calls us friends, that means we can be a friend. If Jesus knows everything about us, if the God of the universe knows everything about you, has seen every one of your weaknesses and every one of your failures and invited you into his household and called you his friends, that means you can be vulnerable which means you can be a friend. This new commandment I give to you, that you love one another. You're thinking, is that a new commandment? I thought that was always a commandment. But he's saying it's given to you in a new way because you are united with me. And if you are united with me, that means you can be a friend. If two people 
have the friendship of Jesus in common, that means they might not have anything else in common. And they have enormous potential to be great friends. You might not look alike. You might not have the same personalities. You might not be of the same race. You might not come from similar backgrounds. But you are loved by Jesus. And you have great potential for friendship. Some of the best friends in my life have come into my life because they were friends of another friend. We had a friend in common. Everyone in this room has a friend in common this morning. And if we have this friend in common, we can be friends with one another. Let me pray. Father, we said it earlier, but it is one of the hardest things for us to believe is that simply you would call us friends, that you would promise Um, to always be there, to be constant in our life, to never leave us and to never forsake us, Um, to listen to us, to listen to our often um, whiny prayers. Father, I pray that you would, this morning, if nothing else, that you would help us to leave and to meditate on the fact that you have come close to us in your son Jesus and that you have befriended us And Father, I pray that it would begin to make us ask the question, who is it that I need to befriend? We have potential all around us and we're scared. We have potential all around us and yet we hide from one another. And Father, I pray that you would would abolish those walls that divide us through your son Jesus. It's in his name we pray. Amen.